The Linux operating system includes user space and kernel space. In user space, the user can create and interact with a variety of applications directly. In kernel space, the Linux kernel provides a stable environment in which device drivers interact with hardware and manage low-level resources. A Linux container is a virtualized environment that runs within user space. To perform an operation, a process in a container in user space makes a syscall, which is a system call, into kernel space. This allows the container to have access to resources like memory and disk. Kernel space must be kept secure to ensure the operating system's integrity, but Linux includes hundreds of syscalls. Each syscall represents an interface between the user space and the kernel space. Security vulnerabilities can emerge from this wide attack surface of different syscalls, and most applications only need a small number of syscalls to provide their required functionality. Gvisor is a project to restrict the number of syscalls that the kernel and user space need to communicate. Gvisor is a runtime layer between the user space container and the kernel space. Gvisor reduces the number of syscalls that can be made into kernel space. The security properties of Gvisor make it an exciting project today. But it is the portability features of Gvisor that hint at a huge future opportunity. By inserting an interpreter interface between containers and the Linux kernel, Gvisor presents the container world with an opportunity to run on operating systems other than Linux. And there are many reasons why it might be appealing to run containers on an operating system other than Linux. Linux was built many years ago before the explosion of small devices and smartphones and IoT hubs and voice assistants and smart cars. And to be more speculative, Google is working on a secretive new operating system called Fuchsia. Gvisor could be a layer that allows workloads to be ported from Linux servers to Fuchsia servers. Yoshi Tamura is a product manager at Google with a background in containers and virtualization, and he joins the show to talk about Gvisor and the different kinds of virtualization. Some recent updates from Software Engineering Daily Land. The Find Collab's first hackathon has ended. Congratulations to A-Rhythm, Kitspace, and Rivaly for winning first, second, and third place, respectively. They won $4,000, $1,000, and a set of SE Daily hoodies, respectively. And the Most Valuable Feedback Award and Most Helpful Community Member Award both went to Vince Montgomery, who will receive the SE Daily towel, as well as the SE Daily Old School Bucket Hat. The links for all of these things are in the show notes, along with a few other updates. Find Collabs, my company, is hiring a React developer. You can find that link in the show notes. And a new version of Software Daily, which is our app and ad-free subscription service, is in production at softwaredaily.com. That's an open source project, and you can contribute to it as well if you're interested. And Podsheets is our open source set of tools for managing podcasts and podcast businesses. We should have a stable version, hopefully up in a couple weeks, where you can host your podcast if you're interested. And if you want to contribute to it, you can, of course, also click into the show notes. Let's get on with the show.
Yoshi Tamura, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's great to have you. Thank you, Jeff.、Uh, great to meet you, and thank you for having me today. I'm excited to talk to you about different facets of virtualization.、Mm-hmm. And I'd like to start on the topic of virtualizing at the hypervisor level versus virtualizing at the container level,、mm-hmm. which is not exactly virtualization, but is quite similar.、Right. How would you distinguish between those two areas? It's a very good question. Those are two different technologies, as you might already know. But virtualization, and the, you know, especially in virtual machines, as the name states, it provides a machine level abstraction. So if you wanted to chop up a resource, a resource, into multiple machines, We exactly have virtual machines. On the other hand, containers are virtualizing the operating system view, more on the process side. So you can imagine having a container sharing the operating resources and virtualizing operating system resources as if the container owns everything, but in reality, it's actually sharing it. shared by the host operating system. Containers can run on bare metal, or containers can run on top of virtual machines.、Mm-hmm. How would you contrast those two operating environments? So, to run containers, because they are basically a process, right? So, even if you run directly on bare metal, you still need to do the operating system. Somebody needs to do that operating system work. Fundamentally, at this point, there are basically two approaches. One is that you run a kernel inside a virtual machine. And then run on top of on top of that, you run the containers. That's one way of doing. The other way of doing, namely what Gvisor actually does, is that they take the system calls, intercept that, and do the emulation outside of that sandbox or the the, the contents of container, and then talk, you know get the the help of the host operating system to get back to the container. So there are two different yeah architectures as far as I know. How do the performance characteristics of those two different environments compare to one another? It really depends on the workloads. So, for example, if you have CPU and memory kind of oriented workloads, then even if you take the path of you know like like Gvisor, which kind of、uh, emulates the the system call, then the overhead will be very very limited. For example, this morning at 9 a.m., we had a session about GK Sandbox. There, I actually have slides about the performance, and it's not on bare metal. It's more on the on GKE. We did the comparison between RunC. The native container without sandbox versus、uh, GK sandbox on performance for CPU and memory oriented workloads, the gap was only around two to three percent. We actually shared the stage with、uh, my launch customer from、uh, Descartes Lab, Tim, and he was also、uh, showing that he used a GK. He's already using GK sandbox in production because he runs a SaaS, and for that SaaS environment, they do need iso- they need to isolate between tenants. His customers' workloads are more CPU and memory-oriented workloads. Thus, he was super happy about the sort of a additional defense and isolation、uh, provided over the cycles that he need to give to GK Sandbox.、Mm. Within Google Core Infrastructure、mm-hmm. itself, not talking about Google Cloud,、mm-hmm. as I understand, most of the workloads do not. Use a VM. It is containers running directly on bare metal. Why is that the case?、Um, the what you just mentioned. I don't have any sort of a data or kind of a good way to confirm. However, I will just say containers and containers really good at resource efficiency. 
So it really leads to the kind of architecture visualizer too. But when you actually share a large machine or a large cluster by virtualization, what people forget about is that once you actually go down the path of virtual machine, not virtualization, virtual machine, then it's a machine, and machines don't usually change their memory sizes here and there. It's actually mostly fixed.、Mm. Exactly. So if you actually start chopping up those resources、wow. based on virtual machine, okay. For example, you need to pin down that memory、ah. for four gigabyte. Even if you get smaller, one gigabyte, five hundred, you know, twelve, two hundred fifty-six. Right. You need to stay there. On the other hand. If it's in a host operating system and the contention process, you can allocate a memory or page、sure. later. And if it's not used, like for example, in many cases like SaaS and like a PaaS, right? A lot of sites or programs may not even run at all, but it needs a response when the customers or the their users actually access that site. But you don't necessarily want to. The customer may not want to pay for that. The service operator doesn't want to take the cost either. In that situation, what's going to happen? If you have a process or container, you can easily swap it out. But if it's a virtual machine, you have to stay there. We'll get into that.、Uh, what you described—it's it's kind of an allusion to the cold start problem、mm-hmm. that we can we can explore a little bit later on. You're talking about dynamic. Scale up and scale down of a single container. Correct. Could you describe an application where you would want to dynamically scale up or scale down a、mm. single container, and how that scale up or scale down would work in practice? That's a very good question. Let me think about it. There are so many workloads that will kind of fit into the category, but one could be like a web application. I think、uh, one, even web, web, a simple web application that could represent. Let's forget about scaling out because、uh, that's one another way of doing to you know、sure. conduct distributed traffic. But let's say we just happen to have a very small website and it's running on inside a container. Now, initially, you may actually just allocate small resources, right? But Once you get more traffic and requests, or the web application need more data, then you want it to expand. The tricky part that right now what's happening is that it's really hard to predict how much resource that would a process or a site needs, and then if it's not needed anymore when the peak goes out, can it can it scale back? That is, I think,、uh, the kind of characteristic of the kind of workloads. So,、um, the to to your point, if you if you have workloads that are facing with customers or to the world, that's sort of hard to predict. You know, if you have a kind of a very specific、uh, assumption about the resource、uh, consumption, for example, when you run a batch workloads,、uh, you already have some understanding about you know, how much resource it could use. But if you're actually facing like unknown business, you know, like when the business is changing, then within this container, you may want to go up and down flexibly. To optimize the resource consumption, we're talking here about virtualization on a server-side device.、Mm-hmm. So I am accessing a Google server from my phone,、mm-hmm. and I want to request my、uh, Gmail application. Whether I'm looking at my inbox or I'm sending an email, I'm hitting a virtualized instance of. Gmail,、mm. it's probably running on a container. That container, maybe it's in a VM, but sounds like it's probably、uh, on bare metal and some kind of interesting architecture that we'll get into. Do we want 
virtualization on client devices also, or do we just want to talk about virtualization here mm. on the server side? It's a very good question. As far as I can tell from what's going on in the Gvisor side and open source community, there are folks from ARM did the presentation very, very recently. So I think on even on clients, I don't actually know too much about that, but uh, ARM apparently, not on, you know, uh, there are server-side ARM as well, but their client-side, uh, you know, there's so many of the ARM-based chips. So I would imagine that this sort of a virtualization or virtualization-based isolation will be interesting area uh, in the coming years as well. Mm. You work on, or you have worked on Android on Chrome, right? Exactly. That's I, a, <laughs> that, I mean, that's a kind of virtualization on a client device. Yes. I've got a Chromebook. I'm very happy that Android applications can run Thank on you. it. Thank you. I really worked on that, yes. I'm sure you did. <laughs> Tell me about that. Sure. Um, I mean, what, why you, and, and why do you say, given that note, why mm-hmm. do you say that this will be interesting in the coming years? It sounds like it's already been interesting. Oh, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So now I don't work on, you know, I'm not with the Chrome Assistant. I don't want it to talk on behalf of them. However, as there are some talks from Google I.O. back in, I think, was 2016, were, you know, when we're thinking about bringing the Android apps to Chrome, you know, Chrome OS and Chromebook, we thought about, okay, maybe we can use containers uh, to bring those workloads to Chrome OS. So that was the sort of a, the container was a good way to manage and also isolate the workloads. And that was sort of an initial motivation behind the scene of, you know, why this, uh, the container started getting used in the context of Android apps and Chrome OS. How does the challenge of running containers on a client device compared to those of running containers on server-side infrastructure? Um, Technically, I don't believe there are significant difference. Uh, If there's anything that is much more sensitive, I think the graphical part or multimedia stuff which will require uh, a lot more access to the hardware could be uh, different. I won't necessarily call it a challenge, mm. but you know, in case of server side as well, right? Like, uh, mm. you know, you only have workloads, and they don't necessarily have to uh, access uh, those, you know, right? Right? Like a multimedia stuff. Sure. So there are some differences like mm. that, and as a consequence, I will not be surprised. Uh, there are different approaches and mm. architectures uh, to accommodate that that sort of requirement. So, I think that is a kind of a, in a big picture that could be different. So, like, if if in some world where let's I'm imagining all the different application icons on my smartphone, for mm-hmm. example, if any one of those, I mean, those don't run in containers today, right? Like, they're or do they? Which one are you talking? If I'm let's say I'm talking about Android. Android. Uh, I don't believe so. I, uh, I don't think so. But let's imagine they did. Mm-hmm. If they did, we would have to figure out how to share media files between them. That's kind of what you're correct. saying. Yeah, correct. So, so containers, do they not have good strategies for sharing resources today? Oh, uh, sorry. Then I think uh, the media point that I mentioned was more like seeing like a graphics, right? Like a rendering, you know. Oh. When you, you know, so on a server side, you don't actually have that kind of like gaming, you oh, know, right? I see what you you're don't saying. need that sort of, you don't, you may not necessarily have that sort of requirements. Oh. On the other hand, client side, it's all about what you show up in the display, for example, or huh. audio, Bluetooth. Right, right, right. So those are the kind of context for Wi-Fi, right? All, all those kind of contexts, actually, I'm saying that, you know, could make a difference when right. it comes down to the solution right. for a similar problem. Right. Yes. So certainly doable, 
but hasn't really been implemented quite yet, which is why you're saying this will be an interesting area to explore in the future. I think uh, the Android apps on Chrome OS has uh, one answer for mm. sure. Uh, what I mean by the coming years is that, for example, like Gvisor is, you know, still we have, you know, we have, you know, official products like Cloud Run, which got announced in day one this time. Now we have GK Sandbox, which use Gvisor to provide Sandbox in GK, Google Kubernetes Engine. So a lot of things are happening server-side, but we don't actually have a product or community people who said, yeah, we launched this product using Gvisor. So I think that's what I mean by, you know, from the context of Gvisor and that type of isolation uh, still, you know, in the coming years, not necessarily like, a, you know, mentioning about other projects or products at this point. Now, as a smartphone user, or a client device user, you could even say. You you are a consumer of technology. Mm-hmm. You also know deeply about virtualization. If I'm a user, why would this be appealing to me? Why would I want containers on a, on a client uh, device? You know, like, what, what, am I going to get I performance see. benefits or security benefits? Mm. Maybe mm. something with WebAssembly? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> like, what am I getting? I think uh, the reason why containers on those client devices, I think from end user perspective, will not be visible. If anything, it will be more about how to deliver the application. Mm. For example, uh, on Android, there's Play Store. Right. In Chrome OS, and mostly on the web, is the sort of how the application, web application, gets deployed to the client side. Now, when it comes down to sort of uh, um, other devices, like we talk about, we, we, when we say client devices, like we talk about phone and laptop, but there are like things like IoT devices. What are the application mm. developer mechanisms going to be oh, like? Oh, of course. And one of the sort of, uh, I asked this question to some people who are in different area that, so would you want to use the existing client-side programming model or application delivery <laughs> model in that area? Exactly, your reaction, exactly. So it's a different world. Thus, I think a lot of people think, can I just use containers because it runs on server side? It can't, if it can only also run on the client side, it will make my life easier. You still already have to deal with the difference between the server and the client device, like I talk about, like multimedia stuff on the client side versus server side, which is much more like a very simple, like just CPU and memory and networking and this pretty much, right? So just handling those differences and form, you know, form factor is complicated enough. If there is a kind of cost and demand that can I just use containers, test on a server side, and then deploy in the client side or any other devices, right? Once run anywhere is always there. I think what you're describing is like I think about my experience as a mobile app developer. I've I've deployed to the Android App Store, I've deployed to the iOS App Store. Not the most buttery smooth experience, <laughs> right? But there's a reason for that. Yes. It's because these are these low friction life and death mm. applications that we're downloading. Like if I download a, a, a smartphone app that breaks my phone like i might be in in the middle of nowhere without my map all of a sudden and like oh god that's terrible that's why we have this you know this gating process with the app stores but that also speaks to the fact that like why are we delivering applications this way why are we you know downloading applications in this way where it's kind of all in the i guess i don't i'm not an expert in in linux systems but i guess it's all in the same user space basically but if we had containerization, we would have this natural application model enforced set of isolation boundaries so that we could we could tell, like, just by the rules of the game, mm-hmm. this application cannot 
break out and ruin my day. I think that's uh, exactly you're spot on. And I think one of the biggest, largest benefit of the the ecosystem, I'll call it application ecosystem from a Play Store and the iOS case of App Store is definitely that is it secure to run this application on my phone? And can we make sure that that cannot get, you know, compromise my phone or any devices? So therefore, I think for a long time, this running Docker or containers, just pure like bare containers on uh, such sensitive devices, were not sort of a, you know, prime time for a while. And we always thought that these sort of application developer mechanisms, you know, is there. And I think that's there's a good reason for that. Now, with more technologies like sandboxing, right? Now, let's assume that just hypothetically, let's just hypothetically, there's a technology, perhaps, and maybe based on GVISE or something else. Doesn't probably matter. But if there's a hypothetical technology on a form factor, right, on a client side, which can run Docker in containers and even if that was malicious, even that was sort of a get compromised, if we can actually guarantee that if we shut down this container or remove this container, if the device can get back to the safe state, that will be very appealing. Because all you have to do, because you know that even that dock container, it's compromised malicious, the, the threat will remain there. The threat will be contained before containers were not contained. That therefore, there is always a concern, risk of that leaking out, outside breaking out of a container. But if we could contain, then that threat will remain there. And once we figure out, then can remove it, shut it down, back to the fresh state. Okay. I think that is the appealing part. I completely, completely agree. Let's get to talking about GVisor. Mm-hmm. Explain what GVisor is. GVisor is a technology that uh, Google has been building for sandboxing. And from a technical perspective, the most interesting part is that, like I mentioned earlier, it intercepts the system calls. And then instead of, you know, today containers are tied together. There's container and Linux kernel and talk directly. Instead of letting that happen, it intercepts the system calls, forwarded to the user land kernel, user land kernel written in Go instead of C. So first of all, the user land, the kernel in user land means it's user land. So it's not like privilege. And then we use Go for memory safe and many other kind of benefits that Go provides. That actually becomes the first isolation boundary. And as a second layer of isolation, so even if an attacker can compromise that user land kernel, you know, even GBuzzer may not be bug free. Even if an attacker was able to compromise that kernel, there's additional second filter and namespace that will function as additional layer security. So when we say GVisor, the, the key part here is that it taps a system call between, you know, sitting between container and the host kernel, inserts two layers of isolation. One is Sentry, call, yeah, user line kernel called Sentry, ready and go. And then the additional second filter and namespace, which will restrict the Sentry's behavior itself. What are the use cases of GVisor? GVisor has been used inside Google and now coming out to uh, Google Cloud products. But the most, uh, that there are two main users or use cases. One is that first you wanted to have a defense in depth to your container, uh, regardless of use cases. Again, if users are aware that containers do, may not be able to contain, then they will be able to use GVisor for additional defense, uh, defense in depth uh, for their containers. Now, the much more intuitive uh, sort of a use cases is like SaaS and multi-tenancy. 
for example, I think uh, we started this conversation uh, from Cloud Run, where Cloud Run accepts various code coming from users or even plugins. Then the service provider has to run uh, those programs in multi-tenant fashion by nature. Now, again, if it's using container as a backend, then as we talked already, it may not be able to contain in that situation, in that multi-tenant situation, you do want to isolate between those tenant workloads. That is the, one of the kind of in, most intuitive use case of GVisor. Here's a quote. GVisor implements Linux by way of Linux. What does that mean? Who's uh, who, who actually said that? <laughs> uh, your website, GVisor uh, website. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. I should have cited it. Uh, I think you. it's the GitHub. The GitHub. It's a GitHub. Yeah. Um, I think uh, what it means by that is it's still a Linux. The username kernel emulates Linux. And the key part is that it doesn't deny the existence or the value of Linux at all. It actually just intercepts a system call from the container and do a lot of work as much as possible, but it will work cooperatively with the host Linux kernel to offer the services that containers need. Does it require that host to be a Linux kernel? At this point, yes. At this point, I will say yes. But technically, the architecture, the GVisor's architecture, what you're thinking, should be more generic. We just don't have that implementation plan or anything, but theoretically, it, it shouldn't be restricted to Linux on its own. Let's say you could choose from a more diverse palette of host operating systems mm-hmm. for your GVisor container to run on top of. Why would that be useful? Other than Linux, you're saying? Other than Linux. Mm, that's an interesting question. Would there be another operating system you would want these containers to run on? Hypothetically, okay, uh, that's a very good question. Even if we say Linux, there are various different flavor Linux, as you already may know, type of, you know, the kernel versions, type of distribution. So it's probably fair to say that having GVisor running on more platform, whether it's Linux or anything else, would help share this sort of uh, experience of isolating container in a stronger fashion. You know, sandbox, you know, the containers do contain can be spread to more environments. And through that sort of a possibility, we may see more use cases that we even thought about. Again, GVisor started from the Google's infrastructure and now there's cloud and we're excited about, you know, those even people outside of Google can actually benefit from the value, you know, benefit from the, the technology through cloud product. Uh, but as GVisor is open source, uh, it's pretty much up to the user's imagination and use cases to port it to more other operating system, other flavor of the distribution, which is already kind of happened with the, arm, the, the, the initiatives from ARM folks, right? We didn't necessarily kind of plan that ahead, but they came to us and say, want to you know, have GVisor running on ARM? Well, that's interesting. Go ahead, please, and we'll kind of uh, help you. You can see all the you know, conversations and the presentation in public. So I think... Those are the kind of exciting things that we expect from the open source community. When you think about this emergent world of running everything inside of a container on top of some other medium, Linux is that medium today. Mm-hmm. Is Linux fundamentally the best set of primitives for running those kinds of workloads, or 
is there something inherent in Linux that is perhaps at such a low level that maybe we need an entirely new runtime environment altogether? That's a very good question. And I kind of uh, think through that like uh, once in a while. First of all, Linux has a lot of responsibility, right? Like uh, it runs on various form factors. It has a large set of devices that can run and it has a lot of functionality as well. So I think to want to really want to make sure that whatever we do in Gvisor is not about sort of a denying that path. It's just that it has a lot of responsibility. It has a lot of use cases. It's serving a lot of people even today. Now, given that situation, as you, you know, as a software engineer, as you may already know, a lot of sort of, a, you know, features as a consequence, uh, complexity come into play. Now, in that situation, Gvisor is a kind of a new approach. Really, we just call it a new approach. It's just one approach, but we think it's an interesting approach to see, okay, so like from what we observe in, from inside Google, we build something like this for our containers, for isolating our containers. Uh, it's somewhat working for us and it's working for our cloud products now. Now let's see how that would work in other cases or you know, in the world in general is sort of the journey that we're just, just started like last year when we open source. And so to your point, I think we don't necessarily have the answer yet, but we're sort of excited to kind of see how that's going to turn out. Google has been working on uh, an open source operating system called Fuchsia. What would be required to get Gvisor containers running on Fuchsia? I probably don't have any data point to answer that question, unfortunately. My knowledge of Fuchsia is very limited, so unfortunately I won't be able to answer. There's only one thing that's in public uh, that could be interesting. Gvisor has its own networking stack, which I didn't talk. Networking stack also written in Go called NetStack. It's not, it's a separate repository, so not many people notice that. Mm-hmm. But if you go to the Fuchsia's um, website, they say they use that NetStack. And what kind of functionality does that networking stack include? It's basically a TCP IP stack in written, you know, in user space again, written in Go. So it's the whole networking stack that uh, Linux, you know, usually in any, op- any operating system kind of has. So let's take that as an example. So mm-hmm. you got this rewrite of the networking stack mm-hmm. in Linux. It was originally written in C, I presume, and you've rewritten it in Go. In that rewrite, not only do you get the uh, the memory improvements of of Go, the memory, I guess the the memory allocation the, improvements, basically the type type safety, type basically. safety, yeah, yeah. memory okay. safe, memory safe, no point, you know, you can't move the pointers. Yeah, can you also find other optimizations or rearchitectures to look at when you're doing a rewrite like that? Like, how deeply are you looking at it? Or are you, or is at that point like you know, okay, it's Linux, it's battle tested. Let's just try to rewrite it, basically porting from one language to another. There are a lot of details, I think. It requires a lot of expertise of, first of all, understanding the Linux kernel stack, any any stack, let's say, networking stack. It's a very large portion, right, with a lot of optimization. Thus, just rewriting is probably uh, not a way to frame it. Uh, it's, it's definitely a rewriting, mm-hmm. but you do need that expertise about what can be done, what are the features, what are the, why the you know, code is structured as such. So I think porting is really easy to say. However, in reality, 
it required <laughs> a lot more. Uh, and I'm not, you know, I've been, you know, away from the the software engineer yeah. world for like now since I became product manager, just like five years. So yeah. I cannot speak on behalf of them. However, we do improve Nestack literally every day. Mm. We know through this feedback of Gvisor and open source and also our production cloud products, we get feedback like, hey, can we improve this? You know, we're, you know, work, you know, for example, in our performance. And then we kind of uh, embark on it. So it is still an initiative going on. And I think it will continue. Why? Because Linux kernel will also keep improving. And I think that is a kind of, a, you know, interesting part when it comes down to, okay, so it's not porting. It's like continuous like effort of improving the foundation of the computing on different fronts. Let's zoom back out. We've gotten quite deep into the weeds here. Containers themselves are not a sandbox. Explain why that is. There are, the most important fact is that containers interface with kernel directly, meaning that when there is a vulnerability inside kernel, there is a possibility that the attacker can exploit that and then break out a container by bypassing the mechanism or escalating the privilege. I gave this talk this morning and it's sort of a not intuitive. In fact, I'll be really be honest, like a couple of years ago, I also thought container was indeed in a strong isolation boundary. A couple of hours ago, I thought the same thing. <laughs> now, 2016, I think it was summer, the bug called Jurtical came out and that was uh, leveraging uh, the vulnerability, the bug, inside the copying array. So that's cow. I'm sorry, what was the name of the bug? The dirty cow. Dirty cow. So it was exploiting the race condition in the memory subsystem uh, of Linux kernel. Mm-hmm. And it was basically to raise, uh, you know, by the attacker, if the attacker can uh, exploit that bug, then it was able to escalate the privilege and take over the root. So those are the kind of a cases, you know, just one, you know, example. But those are the kind of a, one of the reasons that there is a possibility that a process or attacker inside a container may be able to break up through the large attack surface that Linux kernel has. How does Gvisor insulate a container from kernel space? So uh, just repeating, but in case of Gvisor, like where a container and a host are, you know, like sitting next to each other, Gvisor will come into the middle with two layers. First, it will intercept the system calls and then forward it to the user line kernel. Again, ready and go. Now, and after that, when this user line kernel called Sentry wanted to get help from Linux, you know, you know, to get the the help from the Linux kernel, then in between there's another layer called SecComp and namespace which will set apart this uh, sentry and the host kernel, host Linux kernel. That, those are two layers of isolation that would set, you know, make a uh, detached container and the, the kernel sitting on the host. There's these two terms, uh, sentry and setcom, I believe you use. Sentry is the, the userline kernel and seccom, S-E-C-C-com. Seccom. What it's is a, seccom? It's a, it was originally called secure computing mode, I think. Okay. Uh, but for, you know, people, you know, familiar with this, they call it seccom or seccom BPF. Together with the Berkeley packet filtering language, that will make much more flexible to define the, the seccom rules. So if I understand the model correctly... Your application, in, in the Gvisor world, your application is running in this user land virtualized kernel that is written in Go, and it's interfacing through Sentry and SecComp. 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 Yes. Comp? Comp, exactly. Comp. Computing, comp. Compu- secure computing. Okay, yes. all right. Sec- SecComp. <laughs> I think I've seen that in a movie. Um, 
so you've got okay the user land kernel that's where your application's running in, in the virtualized go user land kernel it's communicating through sentry and sec comp and it's communicating with your host's user space area which is communicating with the kernel space okay that's right so now with that said we can focus on the sentry and the sec comp area what is going on in there what you're talking about implementation well, what is it doing? Oh, I see. Let's, so, let's talk just higher level first, and we'll get an implementation. Okay, so I'll just step back a little bit. So in case of the traditional like native container, the container where, like I said, interface is host kernel. So basically, you can actually have more than 300 system calls from the application mm-hmm. to the kernel that you can hit. There are and 300, it's more than 300, more than 300 unique, system, unique call, system calls. System calls and then there What's an example of a system call for people who are just like a little oh, unfamiliar? Sure. So when you want to open a file, right. file is like your photos or something, then you have open and you have read. And also when you want to write your tweet for and, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, the tweet is actually sent. So uh, yeah, you want to- I didn't to. even see you on Twitter. <laughs> I saw a bodybuilder by the same name, but I didn't see you. Oh, really? That's yeah. strange. Okay. okay. I'm not a enough. famous person on Twitter at all. So my colleagues are much more like celebrities. So okay. yeah. anyways, so, you know, there are a bunch of sort of a system called, like, oh, you know, with just with the file operation, there's open and write and read. You know, those are the kind of type of system calls. Very simple one. Okay, right. Sorry. So you've got a system call? And then instead of you know just letting the application to hit this you know the, the three hundred you know three hundreds of those system calls and also the other surfaces mm-hmm. like uh, slash proc file system etc. Instead of a uh, you know uh, in case of Gvisor instead of let that happen by having the Sentry emulating the kernel behavior mm-hmm. and then going through the seccom filter the seccom filter actually reduces the interface of the system call from the order of that hundred, three hundreds, to mostly tens, like uh, like around 50 or 60-ish. Oh, okay. It reduces signal. The reason that we can reduce this is because the Sentry, the user line kernel, does a lot of work, and mm. it only requires very limited number of system calls hmm. to when, when, it, when the Sentry needs help from you know, Linux, they will use this system model, of course. Interesting. That's how sort of a, the attack surface. So we, I just mentioned, you know, like I mentioned that there are two layers, right? The two layers too. But when you just forget about that there are two layers, what is the fundamental difference? 300 ways of to actually attack kernel? Is it 60 or 50, 50 to 60? Now, one thing I'm, I'm, I'm inferring from what you just said is that there are a lot of system calls in Linux that are not that useful. It's very, that's I think the challenging part, right? Like again, it all comes back to the responsibility the Linux kernel has. It has mm. run top of, first of all, it has to run a multiple device. It does run a multiple device in any kind of more form factor. And once you actually have, you know, a software, let's, let's I'll just say like, you know, I don't want it to sort of a, mislead that Linux is the sort of, uh, you know, <laughs> the only, pro- but, you know, a program. Yeah. When a program has to run a multiple device, sure. that's a big thing. Sure. Now, after that, once you actually expand the type of form factors, there are a lot of applications. There are a lot of applications for each application. You have system calls, different use cases. You need kind of host support from the host kernel or, host kernel or a program. Then you open up more gates. Thus, the attack surface has to naturally grow. What's an example of a... Uh a rare system, an esoteric system call. Do you know of any? I think I cannot come up with a one. Okay. <laughs> I think I don't have a kind of. Good... I mean, I can imagine, like, if I've got, uh, if I'm Thank running you. Linux on like uh, a smart flashlight or something, maybe there's unique interfaces for battery or something. I don't know. Power management, perhaps. 
Um, yeah, but for example, okay, um, it's a little bit controversial to say so, but when your program does not have to directly interact with the underlying devices, like iOctal is a very strong system call. IO control, IO, IO Octal. It can uh -huh. literally do any, you know, a lot of things as far as the underlying kernel, do, you know, module can do. Uh. So I don't, I won't want to believe that random user and program, you know, makes that call all the time. <laughs> However, if we say because it's dangerous, we're going to get rid of it. It's going to be impossible mm. because there are a lot of the admin programs that still run, needs, you know, still on the user line, yeah. but need a lot of support from those devices. In that situation, that is the only way that you can communicate and get support. So this is a this is a pretty brilliant design because you're using Berkeley packet filtering, which I assume is like super performant, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this gives you security isolation probably with with very minimal latency increase. It allows you ultimately to focus on only the security vulnerabilities that could be associated with 10 system calls or 20 system calls, whatever, 50, I don't know, however many you got it down to. I think uh, it changes, but uh, 60 is probably the kind of a good number to say. We, I think we know public documentation we're coming up, I think we're going to call it 60. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How does that improve the life of, because let's say like you're able to deploy this to the entirety of Google Cloud, for example, mm -hmm. and I'm a security researcher at, that works at Google Cloud. Why does this make my life easier? Uh, security person inside Google is that inside kind of, okay. Google inside Google yeah and inside Google Cloud. Let's say all the applications across a given domain that I'm working on mm -hmm. have now GVisor mm -hmm. that are that's standing in between the the user space and mm -hmm. the uh, and the kernel. Mm -hmm. How does that improve my life? I think uh, one of the most important aspects of this GVisor is that it does not require any modification. So, for example, there are just to be clear. This problem is not new at all. Thus, in the Linux kernel world, we mentioned SecCom, right? That's exactly the way to sort of filter the system calls to build on its own sandbox. It's I mean, widely used. Now, on top of that, there are like uh, SE Linux and AppArmor, like a mandatory access control system that will restrict what a process can, uh, which resource a process can access. The challenge of these approaches is that it's very useful it's definitely useful. And if you write the policy properly, that is the most performant way of, of providing something, you know, in, you know, adding defense in depth uh, in the context in the kernel. On the other hand, the challenge is that how do you make those policies right? Who would define that hundreds of rules? And is it the provider side or is it the user who have to maintain it? How do you make sure that it's like, you know, it can be reviewed or even maintained? So the constant sort of a, a desire that we've been seeing, and now we're seeing even the word of cloud, is that I think we understand the security is really important, but security people have to do a lot of things. This is just only we're talking about sandbox and container. They have to think about authentication, key management, networking. There are a bunch of things that security people have to think through. As a consequence, there's really sort of a constant desire that at least for container, can we have something that we can just turn it on, just turn it on, no changes application, no management of policy, just like a click of a button or the flip of a flag, and then focus on other more important things. I think that will make, you know, at least hopefully it will free up people's time 
you know, the security people's time and then focus on the rest of the area of the entire end-to-end security. I think that is the way that I envision that uh, how Gvisor can be helpful inside Google, outside Google, anywhere. Yoshi Tamura, thanks for coming on the show. Great talking. Thank you very much, Jeff. Wow. 